You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. Mark Demore is an international volunteer and leader at Hands at Work in Africa. In this episode of Going Deeper for February 13th, 2015, Mark is speaking to us about a common phrase that we use, we are before we do, as well as relationships being core to what we do at Hands at Work. And so this morning I wanted to uh, first just share a little bit about this phrase that we always use, we are before we do, right? We've heard it a thousand times. We say it all the time. We joke about it when we, uh, when we ask somebody to do us a favor. Hey, we are before we do. You know, we should be kind. Are you kind? Okay, you would do that. All right, great. Um, we say it so often sometimes that it loses its meaning, I think. Or at least we have the risk that it loses its meaning. Um, and so I just wanted to reflect on that. Um, it's important to think of both of these things as linked, right? The we are and the we do, these things are intimately connected with one another. One influences the other. Who we are is reflected in what we do, and what we do and the choices we make has an impact on who we are. And so when we say we are before we do, it's about emphasizing we are. It's about saying that this is the important part. This is the sharp end of the spear. Um, but it's not to discount the what we do part of it. It's not to, to lessen that or say that that's not important. It is important. But it's acknowledging um, the, I guess, preeminence of that we are piece. Um, but we, we don't separate them, and we can't separate them. And so this question of who are we? Who am I? This is a question that defines us as people, right? I think particularly as younger people, I still all the time throw up my hands and think, who am I? What am, what am I doing here? What is my life? What am I doing with this life? Um, it's a question that we all, I think, ask ourselves, whether out loud, at least in our hearts, I think we constantly ask. I don't know, maybe we can ask Omi at the end. If, is it a question that we always wrestle with? Um, but it's a question that I've always wrestled with, certainly. Who am I? Um, and the question of who am I, and then, of course, who are we as, as hands? And so it's not an easy question uh, to, to answer. Um, but from a Christian perspective, uh, we have a few key things that help define this question for us. Um, these things don't give us a final answer um, for us. They don't, uh, they don't make the wrestling stop. They don't figure it all out for us. Um, but they point us in a certain direction. And I think they point us in the right direction. They help to orient ourselves. And so the overarching truth of our lives, whether we like it or not, are we are beloved children of God, created in his image. That's the thing that defines us. Um, it's hidden in a lot of ways, um, but that's the thing that defines us. Um, now this may sound warm and fuzzy, and again, we've heard this so many times, that it starts to lose its meaning as well. You're beloved. Yes, I know I'm beloved, but you're created in the image of God. Well, yeah, but what does that mean? Um, it's easy to lessen the truth of that. Every day I think we feel the pressures that lessen the truth of that. In the Bible studies that we're going through right now in small group, this is, a, this is where we start as well, right? We're made, we're created in the image of God. I hope we're having good conversations about it. I know I've really appreciated the conversations we've been able to have around this. Um, because we're loved, because we're created in God's image, 
we're also given a unique role in creation. We're not the same as the cows of the field or the gophers, we're unique. We're called to participate in this creation. We have a job given to us in the beginning. We name things, we articulate things. We give shape and help God as he created everything out of chaos. He leaves it here and says, now you come into this and you start to define. You, there's no names here, it's chaos. Name it, articulate it. And that's a symbol, right? It's, it's, it's him asking us to be a part of this creation. But we live currently in a hostile environment, don't we? It wasn't meant to be like this. We were first in the garden. Uh, we hear how Adam and Eve would walk with God in the garden. And I have to think that it was easier for them at that time to see themselves as beloved and in the image of God. He was right there. I think we, you know, you can, well, maybe there was no mirrors. I, I didn't think about that. Maybe, maybe they didn't know. But I have to think that it was a little bit easier. But even in this context of knowing exactly who they were in God, of walking alongside God, doubt crept in. Does this God really have my best interest in mind? Does this God trust me? What is God trying to hide? Why does he get to decide whether I eat this fruit from this particular tree? Can I trust God? If I don't understand him completely, can I trust him? And so Adam and Eve decide that they probably know better than God uh, what is good for them, and they decide to go another way than what God had asked them to. And so in this, we are, of course, all Adam and Eve, right? We've all walked that path. So in, although God invited us to participate as stewards of his creation, to enjoy creation, to enjoy each other, and above all, enjoy God, we wanted to do things in our own terms, or on our own terms. And our terms boil down to this. God, I see that you are at the center, but I would prefer to be at the center. And so I'm going to live that way. Let's try that. God, why don't, I, why don't I try taking a hold of this situation? You go there. So our self-censoredness, our self-obsession, our misunderstanding of who God was and who we are broke down our relationship with God, right? We were immature. And the thing that I've been reflecting on this week is this is... This happened, this story of Adam and Eve, this happened when, God, when they were so close, right? Um, and so for us, I think I, I see a warning in that. It's when I feel close to God that I can so often not see where I'm actually slipping in there as in the central role. Um, so it's not just, oh, draw close to God and he'll be at the center. No, we have to always be attentive to when it is that God isn't at the center. So although we always had some limitations from the very beginning, we had that tree we couldn't eat from, uh, at this point in the story, with, with the fall, with Adam and Eve taking uh, and, and sinning against God, our, our limitations increase and bec- become more, uh, more dire. We experience the world around us as against us, Right? We're thrown out of the garden and said, now we have to toil. We're not going to be given things. We now have to fight for our survival. 
We experience others, even our brothers, as against us, right? We see in the, in the story of Cain and Abel, jealousy fueling this com- competition between them, and that, where does that lead? The ultimate division, death, right? And we can even start to feel in this context that God himself is against us. God, where are you? God, if you were the God who loved us, it wouldn't be like this, it would be different. But again, this isn't where we currently find ourselves now because as we see through Scripture, um, our self-centeredness did not change the fact that we are beloved and created in the image of God. In Scripture, we're told this long, complex, mysterious story of how God does not give up on his people, of how he rescues his people in his creation, and how he is busy healing and restoring his creation. And that that we stand on the promise that one day everything will be put to right. This thing that God started, that it's moving in the way, although it got interrupted by sin and brokenness, that it's moving in the way that God always intended it to be, that ultimately it will be as God intended it to be. So it's a strange and beautiful but mysterious story, and it's not easy to wrap our mind around. Um, it's tough to have knowledge of the Bible in a way that helps us to say, I understand it, I know it, and I can live it out. There's always a mystery that's wrapped up in this. We see God choosing one man, one family, that family, oh, hello, um, that family becoming a people, the Jews, and the Jews being in slavery in Egypt, and through that story, us seeing God as the God who saves us, right? So God's revealing himself in that story as the God who doesn't leave us oppressed, who doesn't leave us in our situation, but the God who who saves us. Um, Through Moses, he leads them out of Egypt and starts journeying towards the promised land with them. And this journey is so important, isn't it? They don't just get plucked out of oppression, thrown into their land and said, now you know how to be a nation. God uses that journey to teach them what it is to be his people. And if we remember, it doesn't go all that well, um, as things in the Bible often do not, uh, which is an amazing thing, isn't it, that we actually have these stories recorded of all the mess-ups that happen. Um, But that's a key part of the story. It's a a key part of our story. Uh, I think it's what's inviting about this text as well. Um, So... Finally, of course, Israel comes into the promised land, right? Um, And even as Israel is established as this nation, this nation to bless other nations, what Israel understands is that is completely different from what it actually ends up being. Their experience, what they thought would be God at at the helm through Israel, um, really just kind of really being free, blessing other people through them. But then through that, what actually ends up happening is they live most of their existence in oppression, right? Um, But in the midst of this, we still see that God does not give up. Israel goes one way and the other. They run away from God. They come back. They run away from God. They come back. But God never gives up. Although it doesn't work out the way that the Israelites do, he doesn't give up. This 
in ultimately this servant king that is hanging on the cross who we call our Messiah, this is not the Messiah that Israel expected, right? This servant king hanging on a cross is not bringing this nation any glory in the, in the way that they understood glory. There was these Romans over there. We needed to kick them out. Now the Romans have him up on a cross. What the heck was that? What was served in that? I guess, it wasn't, I guess he wasn't the Messiah. If we could only get rid of these Romans, if we could only get rid of those people over there, I would be fine. But God saw the problem differently, didn't he? He saw the problem was much deeper. The problem wasn't those guys over there, but it was all of us collectively. <clears throat> Although we are beloved children of God, created in his image, we are scarred, we are distorted, and we are perverted by sin, and that no effort of our own would save us. We can get rid of the guys over there. Our condition would remain the same. And so that's a radical change in the story that Israel thought that they were a part of, right? But it was a change that spoke to something that was actually healing. And so why am I saying all of this? Starting off with who we are um, and then moving through a pretty shoddy <laughs> rendition of the story from creation through to Christ. Um, I missed out a lot of important bits, I'm sure you're thinking. And I certainly did, um, but I invite you to go read about it. Um, but I couldn't think of any other place to begin except the beginning when we talk about who we are. Um, we have to understand where we're situated in this bigger story. My story is not defined by the situation that I was born into. It's not defined by the skill set that I have. It's not defined by my weaknesses or by the things that I can't do. It's not defined by what my aunt and uncle or by what Kat or Byron or Jackie. It's not defined by what they think of me. It's defined by this story. It's defined by this God. And there's so much that distracts me away from that. Um, <clears throat> to, to understand um, that where we sit now is under this truth of who we are, that we are scarred, that we are traumatized, um, that we are just marked by sin. We just can't do it right. The effort that we put in, we cannot purify ourselves. We cannot purify others. That's the truth. We're going to muck this thing up. But together with that is the mercy of God. And the mercy that in the midst of being not just messed up, but messing things up, that we are created, loved, called, saved, and in the process of being redeemed by God. And that can be incredibly comforting but it doesn't make things any easier necessarily. We still have this place of responsibility in this creation. God, if Christ is a symbol of anything, it's that God isn't snapping his fingers 
and making it all better for us. But he's inviting us into the process, into his work of what he's doing. So although a time is coming where there will be no tears, a time when God is putting everything to right, we are not there yet. We will face challenges. We are a part of the body of Christ. We know that it didn't end on the cross, that there is a resurrection, and that we today form that body of Christ. We are called together and not in, just as individuals. We are called to this together. Our relationships with one another are the thing that will define how we witness to the world. We see that in scripture, the way that you love one another. That's how they'll know me. Each of us is unique. Being together doesn't mean that we sacrifice who we uniquely are called to be in Christ. Um, Each of us has a unique calling. But it's the harmony of all of these different uniquenesses that God is asking us to work within. That's the way that he calls us to work in. Um, But there are many things that disharmonize that. There's disharmony amongst us, and we see it in the world, don't we? Uh, We see it in our own churches, maybe particularly in our own churches. But we would be foolish and naive if we thought that there isn't disharmony amongst us as well. There's many obstacles that we've purposefully put in our place to make sure that there's not a false harmony, right? We've gathered people from lots of different walks of life. We've gathered people with lots of different understandings of what scripture and God and salvation and justification and all these theological things. Lots of us have different opinions of that on what church should be or shouldn't be. Uh, We've gathered different cultures. Uh, We have lots of different worldviews and and, uh, different thoughts of what life should be like. We have different ages and, and different generations coming together. In this. And so there's lots of reasons why there may be disharmony amongst us. Um, but in the midst of that, we're called to find harmony. We're called to live in harmony. For these uniqueness, for these different points of view, to work together in a way, through the guidance of the Spirit, to create a community that witnesses to the God who is calling, who is inviting, who is healing, who is redeeming. Um, so like I said, there's lots of stuff that, that um, creates disharmony. We've already said that we're traumatized, we're hurt. We have insecurities. Um, but I want to suggest this morning also that something that marks, I think, us as humanity, certainly us as a church, and I think us as a community as well, but the way that competitiveness between us creates disharmony in a way that makes it very difficult um, to reharmonize. I don't know if that's even a word. But um, this competitiveness that drives so many of us. For me, growing up, this is the thing that marked me. Right? Life was a competition. You grow in, it. You grow in a way in order to succeed. And there are others out there who, if you don't fight hard enough, they're going to take your spot. 
And that is something that's so deeply ingrained in me, in my head, in my heart, that I find it tough to understand a reality different from that one. Um, But I think we can all agree on the way that that kind of competitiveness alienates and distorts who we're called to be. We're called to be, we're called together, right? Um, Competition breaks that thing down. Um, Of course, there's there's good competition, there's friendly competition. Um, But the line between that and competitiveness that drives a wedge between us is so razor thin that we need to be so aware of it. Do we talk about it? A little bit. Um, But in our relationships, and the people even that we're close with, do we talk about it? The way that we feel uncomfortable when we see some person doing well or succeeding? Because deep down in our head, we've been convinced that to see somebody succeed means that there has to be a loser. And if they're the one being successful, Am I the loser? I guess in the midst of that, to remember that this is the God who actually isn't asking us to be successful in any way that we typically gauge as successful. And he's actually pointing towards and saying, that's a huge temptation to be successful like that. Don't be convinced by that success. What is success? Witness to me. Show me to others. Um, There's a, when I was back home, um, they were going through, at the church that I go to, they were going through a series on uh, on Moses. And so they were at nearly the end of the story where, of course, Israel's out. Uh, They're at Mount Sinai. So after a long journey, they're finally there. Moses has been away for a while and the people get restless. And say, let's build a calf. Um, and we, there's, I'm sure, a lot to say about that. But the, uh, the, the lesson out of that is do not build images of me. I've placed my image in you. And I cannot get that out of my mind. I cannot get out of my mind uh, a quote that, that my pastor spoke about, which was, Given that reality, given that truth, we are created in God's image. Don't make other images, because when you meet with one another, you're looking at my image. I'm there. I'm present. I'm reminding you that I'm present by making you like me. Um, He quoted somebody to say, when we're sitting there with the meanest, most vile, terrible human being we can think of. We are still closer to God than we are when we sit on the beach and watch the sun rise or set or we look over the vista. It's the, it's the beach, it's the vistas. That's easy to think of God there because it's a God that doesn't challenge us. We want that to be God. The God who challenges me is the God who looks back at me, the God who makes me feel a bit insecure or the image of God, I should say, who makes me a bit insecure. 
And so this competitiveness that, that surrounds us, I guess that awareness of the fact that I am competitive, it's something that marks me. It's something to be aware of. But also to understand the way that I feel competed against. I can create the reality of even if it's not meant as something happening either to me or something happening over there, I feel in competition with that. It might not be the reality. That person probably didn't even think that they were competing, but I felt it as competition. So that's another thing I need to be aware of. How am I wrestling with that? And I guess then on the other side, when I'm not meaning to be competitive, to understand that it can actually be received as being competitive. How do we deal with that? That's something that sits at the center of our community, and we need to talk about it. I don't come with the answer for what that looks like exactly. I more so bring the challenge, bring my challenge. (coughs) Maybe this is why I, I was nervous about speaking today. I feel exposed. But perhaps something that points us towards a way of working through this, a way of discussing this. And it comes down to the three things that I know I've stood here and said many times. I know lots of us have said it. We all know it, right? The way that prayer, reading of scripture, reading of scripture together, praying together, and worship, the way these things provide for us a framework in which we're able to place God at the center and let go of those things that we hold on to and that we're afraid to let go of because of the insecurities that we have, because of the competitiveness that we feel around us, real or imagined. Um, It helps make real the victory that God has won. The the thing that we are trying to achieve in being competitive um, that, that place of peace or satisfaction that we're trying to win through competition, that thing has already been won. It's already settled. God has won that. The real competition that matters, God has won it. That's the victory of the cross, right? That's what we live in. Thank God we live in this time, the victory of the cross. Now we live that out now. Try to learn anyway. But the way that prayer, scripture, and worship, the way that they center us upon the God who created, loved, called, saved, and is redeeming. It's brilliant. But of course, to me in my mind, that has always taught me from the day I was this tall or shorter, was to compete. It doesn't make sense to me up here. It doesn't feel as real as the competition does. That's why it's important to practice. That's why it's important to return to prayer, to return to scripture, to return to worship. Who is this God whose focus is upon the poor? Who is this God who calls us to be in partnership with him? Who is this God who loves and has redeemed us? And so as we do that, this is core to who we are as hands at work. The what we do Trust me, we say it all the time, and it is the truth. We are not clever enough to solve the problems of the world. We cannot solve, we do not know how to solve the problem of all the trauma, 
and the pain and the brokenness of our communities. But we trust in faith that God is the one who is doing it. And he's called us into that work and he's going to equip us and enable us to do that. These 40 days of prayer is where we learn, in a sense, how to do that. Again, not to diminish the what we do. The what we do, of course, it's incredibly important. It saves lives. It brings hope. But it does that in a way that approaches what God is calling us to do only as we draw closer to become the children, beloved, created in His image that we were always called to be. Thank you for joining us. www.hensetwork.org